If you don't have a Bible with you, we will project it, but uh, even better, there are Bibles available at the back for you to use, blue Bibles, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Perhaps uh, if you're new to the Bible, you are very welcome here. All of us have been new to the Bible at one time or another. Perhaps uh, if you don't know where 1 Corinthians 15 is, someone can help you get there. All I can say is it's it's near the end, kind of, of the Bible. We're going to be looking at sections from this wonderful chapter. And on Easter, uh, really the core of what we celebrate on Easter is the amazing reality and really shocking truth that Jesus Christ, God the Son, God as a man, died on the cross, died for sins, was buried in a tomb, and rose from the dead. He rose from the dead, not just to be alive for a little while and die again, but he rose from the dead forever. He overcame death. He overcame sin and death completely, entirely. And it is the ultimate victory of God over death and sin and of of his people as well. It is a cataclysmic event. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a great chapter to help us understand the implications. Now, there's a lot in the chapter, and we won't go through it all today. I encourage you to read through it at some other point. But we will look at certain sections seeking to understand the implications of the resurrection. And, and more than that, more than just to understand it, but to have God himself speak to us about this truth and to have us have the truth of Jesus' victory in the resurrection change our lives. That's what the Scripture is after. That's what God's after. And that is what we should be after as well. So let's pray and ask God to do just this. Lord, we ask you today as we look at your word in 1 Corinthians 15, as we, as we contemplate a truth, as we contemplate something perhaps we are very familiar with, would you help us understand what it means? Lord, would you change our lives through this truth? Would you speak to us? We look to you, we cry out to you, Lord. We don't want to just have a a good message or an informative message. We want to hear from you. So we ask you to send your spirit now to be with us, amongst us, to speak to us, we pray. For your glory, O God, in Christ's name, amen. Amen. We're going to start in verse 1, and I'll read a section, um, and then... Jump down to another section, so we won't cover everything, but listen to God's word. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Skipping down a few lines. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. 
where we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Then, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Verse 50 to the end. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's God's word from 1 Corinthians 15. There are some incredible truths here, but if I think we're honest with ourselves... We've heard the story quite a bit, and maybe after decades of hearing this story, it just becomes another story, right alongside with other stories. It just becomes kind of, there's a way things have of leveling themselves, of of becoming familiar, and we have the expression, familiarity breeds contempt. And in some ways, the Easter story becomes like that for us. But if you could imagine for a moment another story. Imagine that that some anthropologists have discovered this tribe. I'm just making this up. But discovered this tribe in, in western China in the mountains there. Deep in the mountains is this isolated tribe. They find this tribe and they find out that the people in the, tr- the tribe are like 500 to 600 years old. They interview them, they ascertain the facts, and then they find out that the, this tribe has a unique diet of special herbs and, and, and they eat yogurt from, made from yaks. And the, the, yogurt, the yak yogurt and the herbs does something and they have these special antibodies and anti-aging things and they live to be 500 to 600 years old. 
seems unlikely, but maybe, maybe that could happen. But, but, but that's not the point. What would that bit of news do to the media world? What would that bit of news do to the world? To hear that there were these people living 500 to 600 years old and they had this special diet with yak yogurt that made all the difference. There would be quite a market for yak yogurt, wouldn't there? It, it would change everything. And, and people would start eating the herbs and the yak yogurt and, and thinking about life entirely differently, would they not? It wouldn't be normal news, would it? No. It would be extraordinary news. It would be, it would be culture-changing news. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is news that is far more important and far better than anything imaginary yak yogurt could ever produce. This story, this truth, changes everything. It changes everything. More than a long life of 500 years would ever change. This truth changes everything about life and everything for the believer. Really, everything for all of humanity. So it's worthy of us digging into and thinking about. So I just want to go through the latter section of 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 50 to 58 and, and dig into this truth and have it change our lives even more significantly than any imaginary story might. We'll look at four things that are talked about in this paragraph. The, first, the need of the resurrection. Paul talks about the need of the resurrection, the necessity of the resurrection. We'll talk about the work of the resurrection. Actually, what happens We'll talk about the result of the resurrection and then the practice. We'll do each of these fairly briefly. But first, the need of the resurrection. Paul starts in this paragraph. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Paul's saying that flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is something that has come with Christ and it will be fulfilled when he returns. It will be the place where all the promises of God are completely fulfilled. And I can't get into all that that means, but basically Christ is going to come back. Heaven and earth are going to be together on the earth. There will be a renewed earth and God's people will live with him with new, bo- new bodies in him, his presence forever. That's the kingdom of God when his reign is complete. And so Paul says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood, and this is a phrase that we're familiar with, but Paul means normal humanity, natural humanity. And he talks about this often in his letters. Scripture talks about this as well. There is this natural humanity. There's natural humanity that we're born into. And our natural humanity is, is a humanity that is not capable of inheriting the kingdom of God. It is not made for our eternal home. The natural person left to his or herself will not embrace God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3, Paul talks about this. He says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And then later he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Natural man is a man or woman who does not understand the things of God and has a natural disposition to disregard the things of God. Actually, the sadness, the sad reality of natural humanity, that's all of us in our natural state, is that we really don't want anything to do with God. The fall of man, the fall of man described in in Genesis, was mankind saying, now I'm going to define my life on my own terms without you, God. I'm going to be the self-determiner. I'll be the captain of my own destiny. 
And God, actually, I like the things you've done. I like the good things, but I really don't want you and your rule. So that's basically the disposition of natural man. And natural man can be very religious. I'm not saying that, that that's not the case. But ultimately, that religion or that, that attitude towards life will be to create a world where God is not king and savior. That's natural man. Natural man, flesh and blood, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In this chapter, actually, Paul talks about uh, it's, it's not just natural man and his sin, it's even natural man and his incompleteness. He says elsewhere in chapter 15, verse 44, uh, describing uh, our bodies, it says, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body, speaking of what God's going to do. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. He's speaking of Adam and all of his descendants. That's you and me. And he's speaking of Jesus, the man from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Paul's getting into the idea, the truth that Jesus is the second Adam. There's the first Adam who came and was put in the garden, and he was put in the garden and called to believe God and obey him. And if he believed God and obeyed him, he was able to eat of the tree of life in the garden and live forever. We know what happened, right? He said, well, God, I don't really believe you are good, and you have my best interests in mind, and so I'm just going to do it my way. I'm going to believe the lie of, of the serpent. I'm going to eat the forbidden fruit. And, and he suffered the consequences of that. The second Adam, Jesus, came and was tempted in the same ways. And he said, I'm going to believe God no matter what. No matter what it costs me. No matter what pain I have to go through. I'm going to trust him and obey and follow. And he was victorious. And in a sense, he earned the right to eat of the tree of life and to live forever. That's why he was raised from the dead. We are all born in Adam. And that is not our final state if we're to be in the kingdom of God. God's purpose actually is not to restore us to the Garden of Eden either because Adam had not yet obeyed and come into all that God had for him. Only Jesus has done that. His purpose for us is to, as we trust in Christ, renew us and make us new like Christ in his resurrected body. That is what he's doing. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If we are believers who have trusted Christ, our objective for our bodies is to be totally made new like Jesus in his resurrected body. That's why it says he's the first fruits. That's an amazing truth. The the resurrection is necessary. The death of this body actually is necessary as well because we have to shed this body to get a new one. Changes how we look at death for the believer. It is the sowing of a seed for, to be re, re, reformed in Christ at the last day. It changes our, our total perspective. We cannot, in these bodies, live in heaven. And I, I thought about this. It's, it's kind of like we don't, if, you had a, if you had a Commodore 64 computer, right? You had a, anyone here know what a Commodore 64 is? Yeah. Everybody over 40 probably, huh? Um, it's an old computer, guys. that can't do much of, it, of anything. Um, if you have Windows 7, you can't install Windows 7 on Commodore 64 and try to run it. It doesn't work. It's totally different. If, if you had, um, what's it, dan- Dance, the Dance Revolution game, okay? Dance Central, that's what it is. Dance Central, 
and, and this would be totally opposite in hands. Who knows what Dance Central is from on the Xbox 360? Okay. A few of us over 40. Um, you can't run Dance Central with Kinect, which is a really cool game if you don't know what it is. Um, you can't run that on your Atari system, right? You can't do that. It won't work. That's kind of the same idea here. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus has something much better. He has new life for us, new bodies. And His resurrection leads the way into our new bodies and our resurrection. That's wonderful news. The victory that He won on the cross and through His resurrection is our victory for our new bodies and our new life. That is the the destination of every believer. To have a new body, to have that ultimate upgrade in Him. Paul continues in this section as he talks about the necessity, he goes on and talks about the actual work of the resurrection. What happens? He says in verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. I tell you a mystery. I tell you something that's been hidden and not truly known. Not, not something that we can't understand mystery, but a mystery, uh, something that's been secret or hidden. I tell you something that's been hidden. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all sleep. When we die, it won't be that your bodies go in the ground and just stay in the, bo- in the ground. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We shall all be changed. Every believer in Christ, we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. The working of Christ's resurrection guarantees the working of our resurrection. That this, that this body will, will be sown in the ground and will be raised imperishable. It will happen in a moment, a twinkling of the eye at that last trumpet. Now, a little side point that's important um, to understand is when a believer dies, someone who's trusted in Christ, really anybody when they die, your soul continues to live. Scripture teaches us that. Your body dies, but your soul continues to live. And for the believer to be apart from the body, Paul says this explicitly in 2 Corinthians and elsewhere, to be apart from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when you die, your soul immediately goes to the presence of God. You go into His presence. You're with God. But you don't have your new body yet. And so the souls in heaven right now are are eagerly anticipating the ultimate resurrection. They're enjoying God. They're enjoying His presence. But they are anticipating the fullness of it. Well, they'll receive new bodies. We will receive new bodies with Him. And so Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, so those of us who don't die physically before the Lord returns, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be always with the Lord. That's the truth. That's the truth that's guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We stand on that historical fact. We stand on that fulfillment of the Scriptures. We stand on that truth. And from that truth, we understand that we too, in Christ, as we put our faith in Christ, we will be resurrected as well. We will have a body like He does. We will put on immortality. 
And the truth of today calls us to live in this reality. And we are often so much of this world, and and, and we're certainly called to be in this world, but not of this world. Our hope is not here. We're passing through. There's an upgrade coming. It's like an extreme home makeover, if you guys have seen that. Um, Sorry, I'm just thinking lots of illustrations today. Extreme home makeover, if you've seen the story, it's usually people that have a hard time, they have a shack they live in, right? And there's some sort of shack, and, and they come and... And uh, they send them away to Disney World, basically, for a while, right? And, and, and while they're in Disney World, the house is torn down and totally redone. That's what life is like. Right now, we're in the shack, guys. All right? We have work to do. This purpose God has is to, to grow into Christ-likeness, to love each other, and to let the world know, tell the world about this truth. We have much to do. But we're in the shack, basically. And there will come a time when it's time to go to Disney World for a while. It's better than, I don't mean to trivialize heaven. It's going to be great in the, God, in the Lord's presence. But it's not our final states. There'll be a time when we come back and we're outside and we say, move that bus. Move that bus. And it is revealed what we have in Him. Our new life, our new body is revealed to us. And all of that means in the new heaven and the new earth. That's our destination. So we don't live for the shack. We don't even as much live for Disney World. We live for the ultimate destination of that new place when, when that bus gets moved. That's the truth of today for us. That's what it means. That's how we're to live. This is wonderful good news. It's not necessarily good news for everybody. Because for some, the resurrection will be to eternal life and some will be to eternal death, eternal separation from God. The reality for all of us is that none of us deserve that new home. None of us deserve that new life. If we've earned anything on our own, we've earned separation from God. We have chosen life on our own terms. And therefore, in a sense, we deserve it. It, it, when we choose life without God, God gives us our just desserts. And God, God is a holy God, too. He deserves our lives. He deserves our all. He deserves our faith. And when we reject Him, there must be justice done. He must bring us the penalty of those choices. The wages of sin is death. That's how it is. That's the truth. And when that trumpet sounds, for some of us, it won't be a happy sound. It will be the trumpet of judgment. Because we'll all stand before the Lord. And if we stand there on our own, we have no hope. But the wonderful news of Easter, Good Friday and Easter, is that Christ has come and suffered and died for sins on the cross and has risen again for any and all who would receive that news. No, There's no difference for any of us. If we would receive that news, if we would recognize, I have no hope in and of myself to stand before God. I have no hope to earn that at all. Only Christ, who has earned it, can get me there. And He is a gracious God. If we would turn from our sin and our self-determination to Him and put our faith in Him, we are received by Him. We're made one with Him. When we trust Him through faith, we are welcomed into His presence, accepted, loved, and we receive His inheritance. And He gives us power to then live life in Him and for Him. And, and that's more the good news is a reward for everything we do in His name. 
I want that trumpet sound to be a happy, victorious sound for everybody in this room and everyone I know. The most important thing you could do on Easter Sunday is to choose the life that Christ offers you. To choose to receive what He's done in His death and in His resurrection. It is for you. That victory that He earned, that victory that He experienced is for you to receive. It's for you to embrace. It's for you to make your own through faith. It it, it is a truth that stands regardless of what you think. But it is a truth offered by God to you today. Believer or unbeliever, we are all called to receive and embrace and enjoy the victory that Christ has won. His victory is our victory through faith. So I just would call each of us to do that, to, to receive that, and then to know all that comes with that, the new life, the working of the resurrection, and the victory of the resurrection. This chapter is full of, of Paul celebrating the victory. So as it continues, verse 54, it says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That day... Death will be swallowed up in victory. On that final day, the completion of our salvation will occur and there will be no more death. There will be no more sin. There will be no more suffering. It will be complete victory. It shall come to pass. The, The resurrection of Christ is the victory that guarantees the final victory. That is ours. We will be rescued body and soul and experience full salvation and not only we personally but we the people of God and the whole universe will be redeemed the brokenness that we see the brokenness that is inherent now in our universe will be undone there will be new life it sounds far-fetched but it's based on reality it's based on the shocking truth that Christ has risen from the dead everything else follows from that Revelation chapter 21, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. What a day that will be. What a day that will be for us. Rescued forever, free from sin, from death, from this broken, sinful nature that dwells in each one of us that would want to live in the insanity of defining life on our own terms. When love and life and fellowship with God is offered, oh, to be free from all this, to be with the Lord and to experience all that He came to accomplish. Paul says here the sting of death is sin in verse 56. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The sting of sin, the sting of death is sin. Sin has come into the world. And it is the sting by which we are killed. The wages of sin is death. And it's interesting, it says the power of sin is the law. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? 
The power of sin is the law. So the sting of death, we are stung by sin and we die. But the power of sin is the law. The law is God's righteous and good requirements. How would that be used by sin to create power? Well, the reality is that we in our natural selves are sinful. And so when someone tells us to do the right thing, our natural inclination is to do the wrong thing. It's like, I've used this illustration before, like the toddler who's given a room full of toys. A room full of toys to play with. And you tell the toddler, you can play with all these toys, but don't touch the stereo. Don't touch the stereo. What does the toddler do right away as soon as you put the toddler down? Makes a beeline for the stereo. I'm going to go touch the stereo. That's what we're like. God says, God says you, you, you know, all these commands, these good commands, basically you should love one another. You should love me. You, you are, you're not to... You're not to steal. You're not to commit murder. You're not to be angry with your brother so to sin against him. You are to be considered. All those, I mean, there's wonderful commandments in Scripture. Do not lie. Oh, I didn't know. Lying. Well, I have to try lying out. Um, we're, all those things are, are, are power, the power of sin in our lives because of our corrupt nature. So we're helpless, guys. We're helpless. We're, we're broken. We're lost. The good thing that the law is meant to be ends up being a, a, a bad thing for us because of our sinful nature. And so sin gets empowered by these good rules and it, it affects our lives. We fall, we sin, and, and the wage of sin is death. But there's a champion who comes along. There's a champion who comes along and he never disobeys. He fulfills the law fully. Uh, we, we would bringing the kids up would tell them to obey all the way, right away, all the way in a happy way. I don't know if you guys ever used that expression. And I had a friend point out, you know what, why, why are we asking our kids to do that? Because we never do it ourselves, actually. Do, do we ever obey right away, all the way in a happy way when the speed limit sign says something? Does anybody, oh, I'm so glad it's 55. I'm going to slow down and go 55. We don't do that. Sorry, I'm just like convicted everybody, I think, of, of that, but self-included. Uh, we've all fallen short, but Jesus never did. He obeyed his father wholeheartedly, heart, soul, mind, strength. He loved others and loved his father to the point of death on the cross. So he had a righteous life to offer up on that cross in our place. He bore our sins. Anyone who trusts in him, your sins are transferred to him. His righteousness is transferred to you. You are included in Christ and counter forgiven and as if you've never sinned, as if you were as righteous as Christ. And he rose from the dead on the third day. That's what it means here. Paul's celebrating this truth of Jesus Christ, our champion. Easter isn't about what we can do to get to be with God. It isn't about us. It's about Christ who has come. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory comes through Christ. That's what Easter is about. The victory that He has won that is our victory through faith and makes all the difference. There's no better victory. The 2004 Red Sox World Series was a great victory and it reversed the curse, right? Years, what was it, 86 years? I've never won a champion. Am I right, 86 years? Um, of not winning a championship. 2004 was a wonderful time for, for Red Sox fans, self-included. But this victory, this victory, far exceeds a victory like that. 
the celebration of that, that victory uh, with the World Series championship was appropriate. How much more should we celebrate the ultimate victory of Jesus over sin and death for us? So Paul finishes, as we conclude, if the band could come up. Paul finishes in, in chapter 15, verse 58, saying, Therefore, my beloved brothers, in light of this, therefore, my beloved brothers, in light of this victory, in light of all of that he's just said, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is how we practice the resurrection. For it is a celebration for us. It is truth to understand, but it is truth to implement through how we live now. And so Paul calls us in light of the resurrection to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Guys, if we had the yak yogurt in the herbal recipe, it would change how we live. We have something better. It should totally transform how we live. It should change how we look at things and and decisions we, we make. We have this new eternal life that is waiting for us. And and when we labor in the Lord in this life, there's a reward guaranteed for the next life. Our future is sure in Christ. Our destiny is sure in Him. If you placed your faith in Him, that is guaranteed. Just as His resurrection guarantees the resurrection, when you put your faith in Him, your resurrection in Christ is guaranteed. It is sure. It awaits you. It's there. So don't live life for anything else. Don't be afraid to take risks for God. What do you have to lose? Don't try to build a home here. It's only going to last a little while. There's nothing wrong with having a home, literally. I'm not saying don't do that. But don't invest here. Invest here for the sake of there. Everything we do in Christ, in His name, he will reward us on that final day. So the labor, our labor in the Lord, whatever that might be, and if you read scriptures, it's, it's broad. Certainly the, the purposes of the gospel and in the local church and so forth is, is, is important in the scale of priorities. But the, but the labor of the Lord in, in, envelops so much for us. So our labor in the Lord is not in vain. So whether you're, whether you're weeding the garden for Christ or winning souls for Christ, whether you're delivering sermons or delivering pizza, All of our decisions, all the things that we do in His name are labor for the Lord and will be rewarded. It changes everything that Christ has risen. He has risen. So let us not waste our time with sin. Let us not waste our time with trivial, selfish pursuits. Let's not be afraid to take risks in life. Let's not play this thing conservatively. There's no reason to be conservative. What are you trying to protect? You've got a future for awaiting you that's guaranteed in Christ. There's no reason to be conservative. We can take risks. We can live for Him. We can live in light of the resurrection and things that will last forever. Jonathan Edwards, uh, a, a theologian and pastor who lived quite a while ago, said this at the ripe age of 19. He made this resolution. He said, Resolved, in light of these truths we've been talking about, Resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. He made it his life goal. I'm going to obtain as much happiness in that life 
as I can. I'm going to live now here to obtain as much happiness, which means laboring for the Lord now and having a rich reward of people whose lives are changed, of things done for the Lord, of an eternal inheritance. How about you? In light of the resurrection. How can you practice the resurrection? How can you resolve to obtain for yourself as much happiness in the other world as you possibly can? Let's just take a minute as we conclude and transition into worship and song. Just to be before the Lord, take a minute and consider one way, one step you can take to better practice the resurrection, to better live in the victory that is ours in Christ. Then we'll close in song.